This is a true story. Hey, listen. You know, if you go to a crime scene and you get five different interviews at the crime scene, you're going to get five different stories about what happened, right? I mean, not that they're contradictory to each other, but that it's just five different viewpoints. And, and when you look at the resurrection story in the Bible, it's kind of the same way. You get Matthew's perspective, Mark's perspective, Luke and John's perspective. And, and so you get, so it's not contradictory. So when you flip to the back of all those books and, and you start looking at the, 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 the resurrection story, you're going, wow, man, Matthew's different than Mark and it's, Mark's different than John. I don't know. I don't know if any of these guys knew what they're talking about. What you have to do is you have to lump them all together to get a real story, right? If you, I got three kids, I don't ever take just the word of one of them. So with four of them, we get a, we get from all different angles about what happened. And so the resurrection morning was chaotic, not just because Jesus rose from the dead. That's enough chaos in and of itself, but how, how his followers found out about it because it wasn't this nice little stroll up to the tomb and then, Oh, he's not here. Well, golly. I guess we'll go back and tell everybody. Now you have a group of women walking up to the tomb thinking that he was still there. They had prepared for it. They, they walk up to the tomb. They find out he's not there. And so one Mary Magdalene runs back to tell Peter and John. And, and you find out that Peter and John probably aren't with the other disciples. And we'll get into that later uh, in the series. But goes and tells them Peter and, and John run to the tomb. And when they get there, uh, they find that Jesus isn't there. Meanwhile, the, the other women that were at the tomb leave and go back to tell the other disciples and they don't believe them. Like you're coming in with that stuff. After all we've been through, now you're telling us he's not there. He's resurrected. Then they go back and they, and they, find, they find two angels there. So why are you looking for the living among the dead? And Jesus starts revealing himself. He reveals himself to Mary Magdalene when she comes back to the tomb. She thinks he's the gardener. Don't you love it? Jesus is like, you think I'm the gardener? It's kind of chaos, which you would almost expect, wouldn't you? So we're going to look at that chaos over the next three weeks leading into Easter and, uh, and see what we can get out of it, all right? So let's look at this this morning. Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us. We pray, Lord, that it would transform our lives. We'd submit our hearts to you this morning. We'd open them up to you, open our eyes that we could see, open our ears that we could hear you, open our hearts that we could receive from you. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. Turn around, tell somebody, ask them, what are you, what are you getting ready for? 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 We have the privilege of being 2,000 years past 
over 2,000 years past this occurrence. And so we get to look back on it with very clear eyes and, and um, centuries of research and writings and libraries full of books that can give us the intricacies of the death and resurrection and how it applies to our lives. We have to use a little bit of grace and mercy in this context when we look back, though, because these people were living it in real time. And I don't know about you, but in real time, things look a lot different, don't they? That's why your favorite sport always uses instant replay to the demise of the sport, (laughs) You're like, could we just go back to real time where you didn't have to take 30 minutes to figure out you needed to put five seconds back on the clock? But in real time, it's difficult to process all the stuff that's happening, isn't it? It's difficult to process in real time when you get a text message and you're looking down at it and you're saying, are they being sarcastic or do they really love me? That's why in, in marriage counseling, I tell everybody, um, use text messages sparingly. Men, uh, you're already 75% more likely to be misunderstood by your wife. That is statistical fact. You're going to get misunderstood. So most of your communication comes through nonverbal, nonverbal things. So what I'm looking at, the way I'm looking, the way my hand motions. So if you text her something, Ain't no way she's going to misinterpret it every time. So those real-time texts get you in trouble, right? No, no, no. I was very serious when I said I loved you. No, you weren't. You're being sarcastic again. No, no, no. I'm serious. When I texted it, I went, I love you. It's hard in real time. So these people were living this out in real time, as fast as time flies by. They were trying to figure out what had just happened. Now, The thing about this, though, is that Jesus had um, indirectly and very directly been telling them that this was going to happen. Throughout the gospel accounts, he he pulls them aside at times. He he indirectly refers to it, but he's, he's not keeping them in the dark as far as him having to suffer and die and resurrect on the third day. And there's there's scripture to back it up in John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. It says, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now you may say, well, that could be interpreted all kinds of ways, but, but he didn't stop there. He didn't just say, destroy the temp- this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. He didn't just leave it there. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 20 says, 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem suffer many things at the hand of the elders and chief priests, teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day rise to life. That's pretty direct, right? What are you doing this weekend? Well, going to Jerusalem. I got to suffer at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. I got to die and I'm going to rise again on the third day. We're going to the kid's soccer game, man. Like, I don't even know what, what? Matthew chapter 20, verses 17, it says, Now Jesus was going to, up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, 
and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. I thought we were just going to Jerusalem. I didn't, I didn't realize it was going to be all crazy. Matter of fact, at one instance, Peter says, no, 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 I'm not letting that happen. That's not going to happen. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Matter of fact, at the garden of Gethsemane, uh, we see Peter still trying to keep it from happening. So, so we understand that Jesus wasn't just painting um, this picture of going to the cross and dying, that he, but he directly had been telling them, I'm going to go to the cross and die. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. How many know some things that are real are still hard to believe, aren't they? Some things that are real that are still hard to believe. So we pick up this story with the women uh, that morning, resurrection morning, that we celebrate in a huge way now, being able to look back. I mean, we have no doubt now we wake up on Easter Sunday morning and we're like, yeah. I don't know about you, but... <laughs> Yeah, this is awesome. But that morning, in the account of Mark, those women woke up and they were getting ready for something other than a resurrection. They were preparing for a tomb that had a dead body in it still. It says they had gotten spices together and they were going to go to the tomb. They had prepared for Jesus to still be dead. How many of you have backup plans typically? You have backup plans. Oh, good. All of you are like, dude, if this doesn't work, we're done. I got no idea what else I'm going to try. You got backup plans? Any, any of you got a bunker in the backyard or anything like that? Maybe wrong crowd. They're all like, you don't have one? Um, you know, we, we, uh, we pride ourselves on backup plans, right? Plan B. Like if plan A doesn't work, we're going to go to plan B. Then plan Z, if that doesn't work. We, we, we always are trying to figure out a way that if what we think may happen doesn't work, that we've got a backup plan to keep going. And, and I don't have a problem with backup plans, except in marriage. Like, I've got a problem with marriage backup plans. Um, if you go into a marriage with a backup plan, just don't do it. Just don't go into the marriage, okay? Don't be like, hey, listen, if this goes south, I've already got it worked out. <laughs> That's not what you want to say on your hunt, right before you say your vows. Till death do us part, unless it doesn't work out, then I got plan B, and you'll be fine. I'm planning on taking care of you, don't worry. Um, I tell people all the time that come in, uh, not all the time because I try to do very few weddings, It was special one time when I married my wife. And then not so much after that. <laughs> so I tell everybody that comes into my office, I say, listen, very early on, if you have a plan B, you'll use it. You'll use it. It's, it's there sitting, just waiting to be pulled out and executed. You've already conjured it up in your mind how you'll get out of it or make another way. But if you have a plan B, you'll end up using it. And I think oftentimes in our walk with Christ, in our faith journey, we, we carry plan Bs around in our back pocket, don't we? Because we want to be people who believe that the tomb is empty, but just in case it's not, I'm going to take spices with me. 
We want to be people that believe that Jesus resurrected, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, as Paul said, and it quickens this mortal body. We want to be people that believe that. We want to be people that out of great suffering, we believe God steps in and resurrects things. We want to be people that believe that his promises are true. Yes and amen, yesterday, today, and forever because of what Christ did. That his promises, that God can make promises and keep them every time. We want to be people that believe that, but just in case he doesn't come through. I don't want to look like an idiot standing at a tomb with a dead body in it when I was telling everybody it would be empty. So I'll prepare for it not to work. And then if it does, it's a bonus, right? Don't we, don't we, don't we orchestrate our lives with, with God like that? Like, okay, I'm praying really hard, Lord. I'm praying really hard. I believe you're going to come through, sort of. But just in case you don't come through, I got plan B. I got plan B. It might get me in trouble, but I'm, I'm going to rob a bank. I'm going to do something because then I'm going to pray that you really help me out after that. But, but my plan B, do you ever notice you have to get more radical the more plans you make? You've watched the movie, right? I can't get insurance, so I'm going to rob a bank. The thing about plan B is that James talks about a double-minded man is unstable. In all of his ways. That when we try to mix faith with our plan, our backup plan in case it doesn't work, we become unstable people, don't we? Doesn't it sound crazy to trust in God in one second and then have a plan in case God doesn't work? Like, I believe in the infinite power of the one who spoke the universe into existence, who out of nothing created something, who, who doesn't need anything from anyone. We heard Pastor Don talk about that last week, that he is self-existent, self, uh, everything he needs is within it. He doesn't, he, he's an omniscient and, and omnipresent, and he's more all-powerful and all these things. And the God who spoke the universe into existence and breathed life into man, he promised me that he would do this, but just in case he doesn't. I've got a really good backup plan. How about looking at your spouse or your family or, or, the, or, or people you really care about and, and telling them that one day? Hey, listen, now we're going to pray, but just in case God doesn't come through, you can trust dad. My kids are like, yeah, but you're the one praying to God because you don't know what to do. No, 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 no. But if God doesn't come through, you can trust me. Dad always comes through eventually, maybe, sometimes. So the, the situation we have here is that Jesus had been directly telling them, I'm going to suffer at the hands of the, of the leaders. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. And you have to put yourself in their shoes. Like if, if your friend came to you and said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again, you'd be like, eh. I believe the dying part. Like, I can be with you on that. You're going to die. We all are. You start talking about resurrecting. Like, I don't know. I don't know about that. And so, so you get this part of us that, that wants to believe but doesn't, and, and we don't know what to do with that. And so, so we end up preparing for what if it doesn't happen? So they wake up resurrection morning. 
Here's a massive irony to this whole story. Because we're often walking through our lives preparing things, preparing for things that God has already fixed before we thought about it. And before they, before they got up, God had already set in motion everything that needed to happen for Jesus to resurrect. But they wake up in the morning and gather spices and walk to the tomb and they're having a discussion about how they can make something happen. And I wonder sometimes if we're not preparing for failure before we even get there. Because suffering is a part of all of our lives, isn't it? Everybody who's shaking your head. It's a part of all of our lives at one season or another. And Jesus explicitly told them it was going to be part of his life. Now you have to compare this to moments where Jesus was raising the dead. He was healing Peter's mother. He's walking into a room with a sick girl and, and saying, hey, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And everybody like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. And then to their amazement, she's up walking around. He's walking up to Lazarus' tomb and, and everybody's saying, why were you late? We don't understand why you're, you're here now. It's too late. He's been in the, in the tomb four days and he stinks like crazy. And why are you here in this moment now? And you're just to cry with this. This doesn't make any sense. And he says, Lazarus, get up. And to the surprise of everybody standing around, a man in grave clothes walks out of the tomb. But all of that did not protect them from suffering. Matter of fact, Jesus predicted it. He said, I am going to go and suffer in Jerusalem at the hands of these people. Wait a second. You were the guy that fed 4,000 people on the side of the mountain. Wait a second. You're the guy, you're the guy that can not only forgive sin, but, but when they challenged you about how do you have the power to forgive sin, you'd say, you just tell, stretch out your hand and be made whole and the, and the invalid would, be, would stretch out his hand. You were the guy, when they, when they lowered the guy down through the roof, you said, what is, what is more difficult to, to forgive sin or heal somebody? Stand up and walk. You did all that. Now, now we're talking about suffering? So Jesus directly tells them, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer. And, and I don't know about you, but I never liked that conversation. Do you? That it's going to be part of, part of my resurrection story. I never liked that. So what happens is when I get, <clears throat> when I get into the suffering part of it, I forget the resurrection part. And I start preparing like what I've forgotten will not happen. And so I, I get into this situation in my life where I'm, where I'm experiencing suffering and this heartache and trials and tribulation, which he told me was coming. And I'm, I'm in the middle of this and I forget that he said, on the third day, I'll rise again. I, he, I forget that he said, I'll be with you until the end that I'll never leave you or forsake you, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. I forget all that stuff. And so what happens is on my way to what should be a resurrection, I'm preparing for a funeral. On the way which to what should be a victory, out of my suffering should come a victory, I'm preparing just to show up and mourn some more. And what happens is, is that we're, I believe we're mourning a lot longer than God ever intended us to. Why not wake up resurrection morning going, dude, he's alive. He said it. He said that's what was going to happen. 
I got no reason. Did you see what he did with the fish and the bread? We picked up extras. Do you see Lazarus? We had to give him three baths after he came out of that tomb. He stunk so bad it was crazy. I know he was dead. What did he say? What did he say? What did he say? He said he was going to go. Remember what he said? He said he was going to go and suffer. Remember? He said he was going to die. Remember? And here we are carrying the spoke. Man, we prepared for what? We prepared for a funeral. Put a backpack on full of spices. I'm going to walk myself up to that tomb. And I'm going to have me another good funeral. I'm going to put these spices on Jesus' body, prepare his body. It's still going to be there. It's still going to be there. It's still going to be there. How many times in our lives do we do that with our circumstances where, where God's promised us something? But the suffering has lasted a bit longer than we expected. And, and instead of saying, like, I remember him telling me this will be momentary. I remember him telling me that he would deliver me. I remember him saying that, that, he, that, that, that I could have hope in him. I remember him telling me that this wasn't the end of my story. I remember all those things. But I can't seem to muster up enough strength to believe it. And so it's much easier to go to a funeral than it is a resurrection. We tell ourselves that, don't we? Because I don't know about you, but I'm afraid that if I tell everybody, I'm coming out of this, man. Well, how are you going to do that? Man, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I'm not staying down. He's lifting my head. He's lifting my spirit. I'm coming out. I'm, nothing can hold me down. Nothing can separate me from his love. He's given me power, love, and a, a sound mind. He's, he's, he's empowered me to do the things he's called me to do. I'm not staying down. I'm coming up. I'm always a little reserved when I make those comments because what if it doesn't happen? So it's easier for me to go, you know what? I'm just really planning on it not working. I don't think God will leave me, but I'm not sure his promises are totally true. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here and just prepare for it not to work. Yeah, yeah. I'll prepare for it not to work. I'll, I'll prepare for God not to show up. I'll prepare for him not to do the miracle. I'll, pre- I'll prepare for him, for him not to do exactly what he said. I'll prepare for him not to make a way where there seems to be no way. I'll, I'll prepare for him not to be the, the light into my feet and the, the lamp into my feet and the light into my path. I'll prepare for him not to do everything he said he was going to do. I'm just going to go ahead and get myself ready not to be hurt again. Because the worst thing that could happen is me watching him die, is going through all the suffering. The worst thing that could happen is show up to the tomb and him not be resurrected. I can't, I can't stand another one of those moments, right? And so as we walk through our lives, we trust less and less and less because we prepared ourselves for the worst over and over and over again. But I got good news for you. It's Easter time. And Jesus rises from the dead whether you go to the tomb or not. The beautiful thing about the gospel story is it doesn't take me to show up to the tomb for it to be true. Because the same people who were paying off the guards after he rose to say, hey, listen, keep your mouth shut about this or just say they stole him. It was just as true when they were trying to cover it up as it was for the people who showed up and saw him resurrected. The beautiful thing about the tomb is 
is that it is empty and his power is real and he did keep his promise and he is a resurrected savior and no one else on earth who has ever walked the face of the earth can ever claim that. He alone, the name above all names, king above all kings. And so here's where we come in. Watch this. Wouldn't it lighten your load a little bit to walk to a tomb preparing for a resurrection than a funeral? Wouldn't it lighten your load a little bit? Look at your neighbor and say, you got to put them spices down. Give me a break. You're carrying things you weren't designed to carry. You've been carrying them for a long time to a tomb that's empty. You know, if there was still a body in that tomb, it would be, it would make sense. It would make sense for you to carry all of that guilt. It would make sense for you to carry all those burdens. It would make sense to do it because there's nobody else to do it. It makes sense because you're, you're, you're going to a funeral. You're going to your, it would make sense to carry all those things there because, because we're going to a funeral anyway. But it makes no sense when the tomb is empty to carry spices there. It makes no sense to walk with the burden that you weren't designed to carry to a place that's already been taken care of. It makes no sense for you to carry the weight of your circumstance when he's already solved your circumstance. It makes no sense. Oh, what are you doing with the spices? I'm going to a tomb that's not, that, that's empty. Because you like nice smelling empty tombs? God, I don't understand. Why would you do that? Why would you? But we're consistently preparing for him not to show up. So watch this. Here's the second part of this. Somebody give it up for two-part sermons. Second part of this. And the band can come up. Second part of this. Watch this. They were trying to figure out how they were going to roll the stone away. You see, I don't know. You, yeah, you got it right here. So this is a rich man's tomb. The Bible says that Jesus was placed in. And so it wasn't just a big round boulder. It was actually like, looked like a... a, a a millstone almost, where it was round, flat on two sides, and it was actually rolled back and forth in a, a hewned-out track. And so, so it was a movable thing so they could go in and keep putting spices on the body. Keep, they were trying to preserve it as long as they could. So they would roll the stone over it, and then the women, were co- their, their conversation on the way to the tomb was all about who is going to roll the stone away for us. How are we going to get this thing out of the way? I mean, we're, we're, we're women. That's a big stone. We don't, we're not sure we can move it. We're not sure we can handle this. We're not sure. You know what we spend most of our lives doing? Try to figure out how to solve problems that only God can solve. I don't know about you, but if, but if I sin too much one week and don't do enough good things one week, then I'm kind of like, oh, I need to fix that, right? I need to fix that. I need to be better. Because I see it on your faces when you show up, you're like me. So if you show up, you've had a good week, you've done more good stuff than bad stuff. You know, you got your little whiteboard, you know, a little dry erase board out. You got to use dry erase because the numbers change every day, right? You're like, I did three bad things this week. You also have categories of bad things, right? The cussing ain't that bad. That's about a half. So you're putting marks down. But then you look at all the good stuff you did. You're like, good. Look at that. 
Man, you show up on church on those Sunday mornings, you be like, God, you are the resurrected Savior. Man, I killed it this week. You're walking to the tomb trying to figure out how to roll the stone away on your own strength. Because the same people will show up to church the next week when the numbers are reversed and they'll hang their heads in shame. And they'll be like, God, I don't know what to do. I'm not, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy to worship you. I'm just awful. You were never designed to fix your own sin. Why do you keep walking to a tomb trying to figure out how you're going to get Jesus out of it? We, we keep walking to a tomb expecting a dead man in there trying to figure out how we're going to get him out. Lord, I'm struggling with addiction. I'm going to stop. Lord, I'm struggling with this. I'm going to stop. I'm going to make this right to you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, Lord. I'm going to, next week it's going to be more good than bad. I'm going to do this. You're going to be proud of me. Doesn't that negate the need for a savior? If you could just do it. If the conversation on the way to the tomb was, dude, we got this. We're going to roll the stone away. Not a big deal. See, the, the issue is we're spending a lot of time just debating on things that we can't fix. Fretting about things that we can't affect. Yeah, can you use willpower to do some? Uh, sure. It'll help for a little while. But at the end of the day, without a risen Savior, without a resurrected King, we are lost in our trespasses and sin, and we can't fix any of it. But we consistently have the conversation, how are we going to roll the stone away? How are we going to fix this? How am I going to be better? How am I going to do this? And what the Satan is so good at is burdening us, burdening us down with something that he's already done. I'm on my way to the tomb and I believe the stone is gone and he's resurrected. That makes my trip a lot easier. Come on, that makes my trip a lot easier. How do we get the stone away? I don't care. He'll figure it out. He said he was resurrected. He didn't tell me to help him. He said he would rise from the dead. He didn't tell me to show up on Sunday morning and figure out how to get him out of the tomb. He said he was. Come on, stand to your feet. We have to get this because here's the problem. We're, listen, we're preparing for something that we don't want to talk about later. Nobody wants to go to a tomb without a risen savior and be like, hey, I got the greatest story ever told. I went to the tomb, he was still there. So we're operating like that in our lives. We're consistently preparing for God not to show up. And then we're wondering why we don't talk about it. We're wondering why we don't look at our neighbors and say, hey, he's the risen Christ. And I don't have any other proof, but that he showed up every time in my life when he proved it. Every time when he said he'd come through, he did. Every time when I was suffering and needed him, he was there. Every time without fail. That's the only testimony I have. That's a testimony. Not, I'm getting ready for him not to do it. So here's what happens. He didn't call us to empty the tomb. He called us to witness the empty tomb. 
He called us. He said, I will empower you to be my witnesses. What am I going to witness? I just witnessed the fact that he was supposed to be there and he wasn't. I just witnessed the fact that when I walked there expecting the worst, he had already done the best. Amen? That's what we're called to witness. So here's your part. Let him forgive you. Let him restore you. Let the resurrected Christ do what he planned to do from the beginning, and that's give you eternal life. Let him do it this morning. Prepare for him to do something great in your life when you show up. Amen? All across the building, Father, we surrender our lives to you. We give you all that we have. Lord, we're not walking to a tomb with a dead man in it. We are walking free to a tomb of a risen Savior. There's no one in it. There's no stone in front of it. You have risen, and that same power is available to us this morning. We pray that you forgive us, empower us, and make us witnesses to the fact that you're all that you say you are. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, give him honor and glory this morning.